You're listening to episode 10 of Fail Hard, a by design podcast that explores the relationship between fear, failure, and creativity. Sponsored by Adobe. I'm your host, Will Hall. Over the past few years, I've had the privilege of getting to speak on countless panels around the topics of innovation and design. And if you've ever had to be on any kind of panel, then I'm sure that you can empathize with me when I say that they can be a little bit challenging. Because in addition to the normal stresses that come along with any kind of public speaking, you also have this very peculiar group dynamic. Because you're not only trying to make sure that you make your points, but you're also trying to help out the other panelists and trying to make them look good as well. You're often up there with strangers, these savages (laughs) that you don't necessarily know where they're coming from. I mean, they're usually friendly, but I've also been on panels where someone might come in with an agenda and they start attacking you. The fangs are out and you got to deal with that. So there you are. You're balancing both what you're saying, you know, the dynamics of the crowd, the energy of the stage, while also keeping your guard up for the occasional asshole. I'm always at a heightened state when I'm at these kinds of events. And a few years ago, I found myself on one of these panels at Samsung's headquarters in New York City. And I kept noticing out of my peripheral vision that there was this guy that just kept making these bizarre hand movements and kept giggling maniacally whenever a point was made. And it was really distracting. Like I said, I'm always hyper-focused when I'm on these kinds of panels, but he was just so absurd that I had to acknowledge him. So midpoint, I looked out into the crowd, and there he was, this guy, sitting there, leaning on the edge of his seat, and he was wearing this ridiculous pair of turquoise Google glasses, rapidly pressing the side, taking dozens and dozens of photographs, quite loudly. I mean... He even started taking voice memos to himself out loud in the middle of this crowd while the panel is going on. I mean, I almost respect it, but it was absolutely absurd. And you know, it's one of those visuals that caught me so sideways, so off guard, that it really made me laugh at the time. I could not stop giggling. And that was back in something like, I don't know, 2019 or so. And as bizarre of a scene as that was, it struck me even at the time that only seven or eight years earlier, Google Glass was seen as the next big thing. We're talking a little bit about Google Glass. Google Glass. You know, it's easy to forget now just how big of a splash they made in the beginning. But if you do a Google image search, you're going to see our girl Oprah, Beyonce, Prince Phillips, I mean, all these people wearing glass and declaring that this, that this is the future. But of course, it didn't quite turn out that way, at least not in the way that we thought it would. In fact, last year, Google released their final software update for that first generation of glass. I recently went back and watched the 2013 keynote at Google I.O. where Sergey, uh, the co-founder of Google, announced the release of Glass. You've seen some really compelling demos here. 
They were slick. They were robust. Uh, this is going to be nothing like that. <laughs> this can go wrong in about 500 different ways. So tell me now, who wants to see a demo of Glass? So what ensued is one of the most ridiculous product launches I've probably ever seen. It had skydivers, there were skaters, there were bikers, just all this stuff. And it kind of looked like, I don't know, some kind of homemade version of the X Games or something, just completely over the top. But you know, all kidding aside, at the time, the tech was genuinely impressive. And one of the goals for Glass was to keep users immersed in the real world. You know, so often technology, it breeds isolation. We're all looking down and in, and we've created these bubbles around ourselves. But Glass, you're just up and out and in the real world. And one of the ways that they did this was through sound. So instead of going the traditional headphones route that isolates you from the world by taking over your ear canal. I mean, think about it. It's literally an earplug. Glass? Glass used vibrations that took sound and pushed it through your bones instead. It's a wild experience. You should totally try it if you haven't. And it's like you're hearing on the inside. It's a bizarre phenomenon. In fact, the agency I was at at that time got one of those very first prototypes and a coworker of mine who had been deaf since childhood, he put them on and he said, you know, I could hear with these things on. And we were all blown away. I, I remember it felt like, well, this is clearly the future. And a lot of the technology that was in that device is still amazing to this day. But, and you can hear it in his voice there at the launch that, you know, this might not go so well. It seemed like he was very much in on the fact that, you know, we'll see. In fact, here's a direct quote from Sergey when he was asked about the product. He said, and I quote, It's a prototype with major kinks still to be worked out. Repeating, a prototype with major kinks to be worked out. When is the last time you've ever heard a company say something like that? A clothing company? A food company? If you worked there and you said something like this, you would get fired immediately at most companies. But yet here we have all this pomp and circumstance around a product that they know isn't right, but yet they went forward anyway. And I see this release as something of a celebration of iteration and process rather than some sort of declaration that they had arrived. That being said, we all still kind of have that same question, though. Why? We all get iteration. We all get moving forward. But why on earth would you release a product that you know more than likely isn't going to work the way that you hope that it will, and you also know that everyone else is probably going to see it as a failure? I mean, sure, maybe it could take off, but let's be clear. At the time, this came from a department within Google called X, and they were referred to as, quote, their moonshot factory. So nobody was exactly betting the farm on this. So again, why move forward? I think they moved forward with Glass as a product because it was never about the product. In the world of innovation, we know that everything is a function of time. 
And there's always this fundamental base level question that we're all asking. And it is, where are we on a given continuum or trend line? You know, what's happening today and what might happen tomorrow? And how might we use those forces to be a competitive advantage? And this truth is not just relegated to the world of technology. In fact, I believe it's the world in which we all live. Stasis is death, both in business and also in life. And I mean, consider the forces that were at play in their world at a macro level. So for example, look at the trend lines that have happened over the past 50 years in technology. And what you see is a rapid downsizing from computers like the ENIAC that were the size of buildings that have since been scaled down to be in our pockets and so on. And as computers have gotten smaller, that means we've gotten closer to them physically and emotionally. And there's this sort of half-lifing that's happened with all of this. So, you know, let's take again 50 years ago, wherein the computer would have been the size of a building. You know, 25 years later, we're talking about the size of a desktop. And then about 12 years later, a laptop. And then six years, a tablet, and then a smartphone, and so on and so forth. And we know that technology is vectoring to a place eventually of simply being ambient out and in the world. And that's the place where Google Glass was trying to play. And when you think about ambient computing, that means that you aren't interfacing simply with keyboards, type, swipe, and pokes, but rather with gesture, with voice, with smart vision, and the like. Technology that's finally being skinned with human interfaces instead of simply plastic and metal. Google has always said that their vision is that eventually you wouldn't have a search bar at all but rather you would just have information come to you as you need it, contextually relevant when and where you are out again in the real world. And Glass? Glass was their overt foray into this imagined future. And look, I'm not some futurist or something, and this isn't some tinfoil-wrapped conspiracy theory I'm talking about here. This is the world that's literally being created as we speak. And so with that as a backdrop, How absurd would it be to think that they would have been able to nail all of those forces with one product the first time? Of course they wouldn't. No one could. And you know, when you think about it, they probably should have just made each pair out of something like cardboard because both they and we knew that glass was just a temporary stepping stone at best. And speaking of cardboard, Isn't it funny that their first VR product a couple of years later was literally called Cardboard? It was an overt prototype by design from day one. It's almost like they learned from this release. You know, I don't know if that's the case, but that's certainly what it seems like to me. Embracing iteration all the more. Glass simply wasn't a product, but rather a lab. And whereas others see failure and a punchline, I see millions of hours of testing and learning, progress, forward motion. And I just love this quote from Isabel Olson, who was the physical product designer on Google Glass. As you're trying to invent something completely new, you can't go about and think, now I created this perfect thing and it's never going to change and that's it. It's quite funny, actually. Um, people ask me, so what do you do now? The glass is done, right? It's, what? 
and you know, I, I get all furious, and I'm, you don't understand. We're, we just started. It's just the start of a conversation. And that conversation has continued over the last decade into some really meaningful technologies that are in all of our lives. I mean, just consider a couple of the problems that they were trying to explore within that laboratory that was glass. Like, how does a computer know when you're talking to it? In glass, you said, okay, glass, take a picture. And now, a decade later, that same design pattern is what Google Assistant is based entirely on, a wake word that's paired with an assistive moment. Hey, Google... What's the weather? And so on. Or, you know, look at how they use gestures to open folders and the like. I see that thinking in their new phones. So, for example, when the alarm goes off in the morning, the phone can tell just by the way that you approach it, the way that you move, whether you want to turn it on or off. This is a direct descendant of that first rapid prototype done a decade or more ago with rubber bands and a pair of drugstore glasses. And there are countless other examples. And sure, funny enough, glass as an actual product unto itself actually has found some footing over the past few years. In places like GE's warehouses and Volkswagen plants and things like this. And they're being used in meaningful ways there that are moving business. But those advancements, I see them as really rounding errors in the larger game that I believe that they're playing. And just to be clear, I am not some Google fanboy. In fact, there are a lot of things that I fundamentally disagree with them on. But you have to applaud their approach to process, their willingness to publicly iterate, embrace failure, and simply move forward. I recently saw some research that surveyed the Fortune 500 companies, and they looked at everything from their annual reports and earnings calls to social posts and PR releases. And what they found was that the most innovative companies, they never said the word innovation. Conversely, the least innovative companies, those that are struggling to maintain relevance, they talk about it all the time. And there's something really profound about that. Instead of seeing innovation as a way of being, failing companies, they see it as a one-time event. And like Isabella said, glass is shipped, so now what? No, it's an ongoing process. Growth is not a one-time event. Progress is continual. And the more that we can embrace the verb of design, the verb of innovation, the verb of life the continual act, the more we're able to find our path and be the architects of our own futures, one failed product release at a time. Fail Hard is sponsored by Adobe. Everything associated with this podcast is enabled by the Creative Cloud, and we couldn't be more grateful for their support. Thank you, Adobe. We're releasing new episodes of Fail Hard every Tuesday, so be sure to hit subscribe now to stay up to date. Thirsty for more by design content? Check out our website, americabydesigntv.com. There you can find episodes of our television show, America by Design, 
as well as previous episodes and liner notes of this podcast. Lastly, if you have any questions or suggestions for the show, feel free to shoot me an email, hello at willhall.co. We'll see you next week. This can go wrong in about 500 different ways. So tell me now, who wants to see a demo of Glenn?